0: This podcast is brought to you by the ABC Recovery Services of San Antonio, Texas, where we provide intervention, sober transport, case management, and peer recovery support. With this podcast, we are looking for real solutions to real-world problems.
1: Now and then i let it go. By the waves I can't control. I'm learning how to be. y'all welcome
0: to a better boat podcast my name is Bubba Norton I'm here with my business partner and founder of the ABC recovery services Dustin Williams Dustin welcome thank you tell everybody uh what your thoughts are for creating this podcast what is it we hope to accomplish
2: um I would say it's use it as another resource, you know, when somebody out there struggling might hear it, know that there's people, people out here that can can and will help, you know, so as another resource Mm -hmm. for, you know, those struggling, you know.
0: Cool, what I hope to do is, like we were talking about, the whole reason is to bring different people on here tell their stories uh there's not a lot of resources out there where you can learn a lot about the different treatment center options you have in town you know you're sort of at the stuck at the mercy of people who you know recommend them to you or people you know where you know i hope to have different people from um different treatment centers on here and they can explain a little bit about you know the services they're offering what makes them different from the other treatment centers
2: right and you know and also I think we you know can involve families right Um, those that have lost people to this disease yeah you know to kind of let them know you know that 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 resource is there for them wow
0: that's great yeah 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 well um, there's a number of things we're hoping to accomplish this and we'll just do it episode by episode today's intention was just to create a short little podcast, nothing out of the park, but just to introduce us, who we are, and um, what we hope to accomplish with this podcast. With that being said, why don't you tell us, you know, five-minute version of your story, your recovery, and what you're doing now. And I know it's going to be hard to knock it out in five minutes, but give us the old elevator speech, man.
2: Man, the old elevator speech is simply... My whole life, I felt like I was separated from my family. Mm-hmm. Even though I was a part of it, I felt like I was on the outside looking in. And, you know, then the whole addiction thing started behind a prescription pad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just off to the races after that. You sure. know, I, I come from a really great family. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't have any issues growing up. My mom and dad were married till the day they died, right? But there's something different in me. And, um, you know, I went down a really dark hole. I, I lost a career. I lost a family. I lost a wife. Um, I lost my freedom, you know, all behind, you know, some pills. And then it went to the street drugs and, you know, all that. And, you know, I battled with it back and forth. And, you know, I finally found a recovery whenever I got a proper introduction to it. Yeah. You know, and I met a man that sat down across from me and didn't take none of my bullshit. <laughs> but uh, he told me how it really was, man. And, you know, the man saved my life and I owe my, I owe my life to him. And, you know, it talks about it in Dr. Bob's story that he does it because it's a sense of duty. And that's that's why why I do it, man. This man saved my life so I can't be selfish and, not, you know, not go out there and help another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you lost your freedom. Tell everybody a couple minutes about that.
2: And so when I, back in 2010, I was so deep in my addiction. I was living with my brother because my ex-wife, you know, she left me. And my brother, um, I'll just say he works for the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, you know, he... I get right all over Crime Stoppers in Corpus Christi uh-huh. and a buddy of his sent a video to him <laughs> <laughs> and I walked into the house one night and he's like we need to talk and that was October probably 15th of 2010 I got arrested October 17th 2010 sentenced to a 10 year prison sentence and I served two and a half years of the prison sentence, got out, and most people, you know, they go to prison, and it scares the crap out of them, and they right. stay straight, eh, yeah. not me, Yeah, you know, <laughs> i like, shit, that wasn't that bad, <laughs> and I, I went back out, and, you know, suicide attempt after that, and, you know, I was still, my freedom I didn't have, even, you know, now that I have the freedom, I'm not, met, you know, babysat by the state anymore, I'm off all the paper, my freedom came whenever I when I actually found recovery. And that's the freedom. I mean, you know, I've been locked up in prison and, you know, I was freer in prison than I was out on the outside. Yeah. So. No, I mean, one of my heroes, Jocko
0: Willick, wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. And it talks about how if we had the discipline to do certain things every day, it provides us a lot of freedoms, right? And, uh, you know, the discipline that we have to do on a daily basis to... Work on our recovery provides the very freedom we were looking for all along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and so man, one day it'd be cool to get him on here. That'd be a pipe dream.
2: Yeah, that'll be a pipe dream. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, he don't even like me to tell that story. He no. does it. How come? I don't know. I, every time I do, I'll call him. and I say, "Guess what I did?" He's like, "Don't you tell me," because <laughs> I mean. Every once in a while he has to have another background check done and when he has to have another background check done he has to go through all the BS with oh, me again oh wow yeah so he he gets that that band-aid ripped off sometimes yeah. but we're, we're super cool now yeah. you know he invited me on a ride with him and his little uh, biker club that he rides with mm-hmm. um, he lets me come to his house and don't hide his valuables no more yeah <laughs> you know so yeah. And he don't pull his taser or gun on me no more no so. that's a good thing yeah that's a good thing yeah, so yeah
0: yeah yeah well my little story you know I had two separate recoveries I hadn't had a drink since 87 and uh, was really uh, in the martial art world for several years had a neck injury um, wasn't working any program recovery and, doctor gave me a prescription for six Percocet a day and I thought oh I'll be fine <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> you know how that story ends and uh man did I ever I mean a huge opiate addiction came to a conclusion June 12th of had hadn't had a pain pill in 13 years but um you know so whenever I work with people it's not like I mean because I didn't drink when I was out eating those pain pills right so Whenever I say I had two totally separate recoveries, it was two totally separate things, right? And so when I'm talking with people, and particularly an opiate addict, I'm going, man, I feel that with you. You know, I remember that. I didn't go to no fancy detox. I locked myself in my damn apartment (laughs) with a case of Gatorade and uh, some Top Ramen that I didn't touch, you know? And... uh, was friggin' miserable, but, you know, I tell people now, I go, man, uh, except for doing 40,000 burpees a day, I could be a Navy SEAL now because, you know, that's the most miserable mentally, I mean, your brain's pulling on you, physically, your body's withdrawing, and dude, all I had to do was pick up the phone. Right. And I could've ended it in two seconds, but I think that's, you know, one of the cool or the most beautiful things, you know, with like we try to impart in the people we work with is that when there comes a time when you wanna be clean and sober more than you wanna be high, there's nothing that you won't go through. Right? Yeah. To get there. And then, you know, everyone thinks getting there is the battle. And it's like, no, that's that's getting from the dog out to the plate, dug out to the plate to start, you know, you life's fixing to start throwing your pitches now, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, those are the type of people that uh, I want to bring on this podcast who have been at that plate a bunch, been beamed in the head, struck out, you know, right. and, uh, but keep doing what it takes to get back up to that plate. Um, who was the most influential person in your recovery, do you think?
2: Man, I... I I mean, the most influential person in my recovery was obviously my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't be farther from apart, you right. know. But we had we we grew up in the same business mm-hmm. um, in sales, and I when I found that out, I'm like, oh crap, you know, because I'm not going to be able to you know, manipulate this guy. Mm-hmm. But I I would also say, man, my brother. Mm. When he called the cops on me and had me and had to turn me in, mm-hmm. and then kicked me out of his house when I paroled back to his house, thought it was a great idea to sell drugs out of his house. <laughs> he didn't like <laughs> that very well either. But I mean, that got me to a point where I was absolutely—I didn't stay sober after that. I went to treatment in 2015, and I got out and went back to jail. And I was like, oh, I'm going back to prison, so I'll, you know, just go on another run. But him saying I'm done, I had no other options, mm. right? You know, and I got to that dark place, I was faced with that, those two things that it says in the big book, right? Go on to the bitter end, or accept spiritual health. Mm. And to me, that don't mean death. That means I got to live that life the rest of my life. Yeah. And I was at that point, right, that I couldn't see life with or without drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I had no insurance, no money, no nothing. And you know it's hard to get help when you don't have those you that's know that's what
0: if, we're finding out with the help we do
2: yeah, yeah and so that's I mean that's one of the main reasons why I started the company mm-hmm. um, you know yeah I started it to ha- you know to make a living but just like we, you know one of our mottos on our thing is we just want to blanket help yeah. you know hey this ain't gonna be no family you can say it. Uh, we just want to fucking a- help right <laughs> there you go and, and, that, and that's what we do right man it, at the end of the day, we got to pay our bills. But if if it means helping a man yeah. save his life, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go to Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, I just got back from Oklahoma yesterday. Absolutely. You know, so there's nothing that'll stop us, mm. right? Um, we, you know, we also say we ain't scared. Yeah. Because I don't feel that we are scared. Mm-mm. You know, we will go into the trenches. Yep. I went into drug houses. You know, had a gun pulled on me, and walked out. I'm like, man, that was really freaking stupid (laughs) that dude could have shot you yeah and i'm like but i i i believe what i what i've learned from the program you know if i if i stay spiritually fit i'm gonna be safe and protected no matter where where i go yeah i can go where any free man could go right Mm -hmm. i could go to a rock show i can go to bars and you know listen to music know live music or I can go to a bar and my girlfriend can go up and sing karaoke, mm-hmm. right? And I can just chill and have a glass of water. It, it it doesn't bother me. When it bothers me, something like that bothers me. I gotta check myself and what what it is in, in me that's bothering me. Mm-hmm. And you know that inner the inner inner reflection is what I got. I have got gained from this. Uh, from this uh, program you know, over the last five and a half years, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's pulled me out of some some muck. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely over the last eighteen months, yeah, yeah, two years. You know, um, I've had a lot of health issues, and you know, by the grace of God, I, you know, I didn't lose this business. Um, you know. I, uh, I met this crazy guy named Bubba one day for coffee and then well, uh, he wouldn't leave you alone well man so you one one thing I, I've always wanted to ask you is uh-huh. this uh-huh. you were in a successful position mm-hmm. selling rVs making yeah. a good income yep and when we talked it wasn't but a couple days later you said hey I'm gonna resign on this day yeah and I'm like what the fuck i was like man dude i'm struggling financially because of all the health issues yeah and man you know I, I i don't know how if i've told you or not but man i'm so grateful that we had that coffee yeah i'm so grateful that you came on board you know uh, it was a lot of fear yeah you know and i'm like man we don't even we don't even fucking know each other <laughs> You know, we got we got introduced from a mutual friend, Yeah. and I'm like, this dude's like putting his livelihood in my hands. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. But what I found is I've always looked for someone like me
0: mm-hmm.
2: to come on board because I I couldn't do it all myself. Right. It, it, it that's what put me in the hospital is I ran I ran myself into the ground. Sure. And then I met you, and, <laughs> and man, you you're just as. Hopped up and hyper and go get her as I am. And yeah. I'm like, shit, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, then when we first met, I still struggled with some health issues sure. and shit. Uh-huh. And man, you stepped up and, you know, I, I, I thank God every day for it because without you, I wouldn't have the company. I would have lost it because there's no way I could have held on. I, you know, I was struggling just to, you know, cover the a couple accounts that I had. And, you know, I definitely wasn't making any money because I was, it was going out the window. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you told me that, I'm like, thank God. And then I'm like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> I hope, I hope it'll fail. Hope it'll fail. <laughs> but, you know, I honestly, I think our egos won't let us, uh-uh. we'll, we'll, we'll go on, you know, fighting until till the end, you know, Absolutely. so. No, my wife, uh,
0: that's who you got to thank because I came back to the first meeting, you know, and we're both salespeople at heart and, uh I, you know, I got a pretty good judge of character. Clean and sober, a lot better than I was eating <laughs> pills and drinking. But I told her, I said, this guy, this is the one. And, um, you know, it was a leap of faith for us, too, because I was making a good living. But this is what I always wanted to do, and this is what my wife always wanted me to do. And so uh, whenever she said, she goes, no, I want you to go do this. And then I told her, I said, it's going to be scary financially. And she goes... It's, it, she was. Like, I can already tell it's meant to be go do it. And then, having owned a business, you know, I used to own a uh MMA gym for I was in a martial art business for 20 years, so I recognized that fear in your voice because I've been in that same shoes. And I was just like, Man, I hate to do it to this guy, but I sort of got to cram myself down his throat just so he'll see, you right. know, whenever. At first, whenever you're wanting me to do some transports, I was like, no, dude, I don't even want money. I want to make sure you're afloat, and then when you get out and ready to go, we'll both be in a position to go attack this thing. And, you know, there is a there is a tricky line we talked about, doing 12-step work and doing this for a living, but, you know, when someone's paying us to transport somebody, which is, uh, it's, it's long, hard work. But, man, when we get done, that frees us up to go do the agent. and... Our work that we do in so many treatment centers, you know, and it right. provides us a link to the people that we want to go help. And so, uh, it's, a it's an incredible, incredible opportunity. And plus, you know, you providing a path to help me get certified to Ken Seedy 911. I was like, Phew. that's just like going to the Harvard of intervention <laughs> right. in management schools. Right. So, uh, no there was never on my mind and i'm sure there's going to be more scary times going on but i never felt more um natural about anything and it's another reason why i want to do this podcast we had the podcast going three years ago when you know i I was doing this and then covid shut it down and so so many people asked me to bring it back and i'm going to move those stories over here because man i've got like one story on there it was the most amazing story on forgiveness uh I had uh, two ladies that were in my home group, uh, 24-Hour Club in New Braunfels. And one had just lost her son to suicide. He was, a, he was in the service, extreme PTSD, and it took his life. And she hit, understandably, an emotional low and just never accepted it and couldn't get out of it. And you literally watched her age 20 years in two years. Wow. And another lady who was on my podcast had her daughter was murdered right at the same time by, you know, another person. And Christy, the lady that was on my podcast, ran in to Patty, the one whose son had committed suicide, and she saw. And she looked at that and she said, unless I forgive my daughter's murder, that's what's waiting for me. I don't want to live the rest of my life like that. And man, and she was using at the time. She went back to treatment, cleaned up, and worked on one thing. And that was forgiving her uh, daughter's murder. You know, forgiving a man, I don't know if I could. I don't know I could. No, but it was such an inspirational story, which is the type of message I want out here. You know what I mean? The right way is rarely the easy way. It's rarely what we want to do, but you talked about being at that turn of point, you know, and she ran right into that lady and it was, you know, she had that, we talk about that spiritual awakening. We missed that stuff. Yeah. But she had a glimpse of, you know, something right there where she saw a vision. She said, you know, without forgiveness, this is what's waiting for you. Right. And the only way to get to the other side, you're going to have to go forgive this guy. And man, you know, uh, It was such, for me, I don't care if anyone else listens to the podcast, I pull it up. (laughs) Because it's a great damn story. But I want to have more stories like that on here. And I really want us to focus on, because we do so much work with people who are, we do case management. We do a lot of work with people who are getting out of treatment. And no one, and we both know, there's no one more scared in the world than that person has been two or three times. And that day's coming where he's got to go back outside that door. Right. Just like
2: the guy I brought from Oklahoma last yeah. night. He said, man, I'm not worried about the treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about when I leave here. Yes. And I told him, I said, I, I got you. Yeah. You know, getting, getting people set up, because what a lot of treatment centers do, they, you know, they in there for 30, 45 days, 60 days, whatever, and then get out and they, they say, okay, well now go to a meeting.
0: Yeah.
2: But they don't direct them to a meeting, you know, and they're, you know, we both know there's some crappy AA meetings out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And, you know, they, they don't just, they don't tell them in there what meeting etiquette is. They don't tell them how to, you know, find a sponsor, mm-hmm. you know, they just go in there and want to tell them, hey, I'm, uh, my, my dog just died. You know, they want to talk about their bad day instead of talking about a solution to this, to this deadly disease. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring on case management is because the biggest relapse rate is right down to that first two months. Yeah. You know, first two months out of treatment and they don't really know what to do. That's when they relapse and then they end up back in treatment then that cycle, you know, they're just in and out. They go back to treatment because that's where they find freedom, Mm -hmm. right? They're not using. And so that's the one safe spot what we want to do is help them find that safe spot outside of treatment. Yes. You know, and, and that's, you know, that's the reason why I wanted to do case management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's what I pitched to the treatment centers. Mm-hmm. You know, how many, how many people go out and 30 days later are right back in where they were at? Yeah. And they're going through the same thing, mm-hmm. right? There's no... There's no difference, really. The, the, some some programs have different you know philosophies, and you know some are twelve step based, some are not. But there's always the clinical aspect, and they they have you know psychoeducational classes and you know stuff like that, right? And if you just keep cycling back through those treatment centers, and don't learn how to live life outside of treatment, mm-hmm. you're never going to find that freedom. No. No, unless, unless you just get stuck. Right. You mm-hmm. know, that's what a lot of people do. Families get tired of it. They can't be employed. So their insurance runs out and then they're stuck. Yeah. And then, you know, it's either suicide, mm-hmm. they stay that way or, or they finally, it, yeah. you know, what people say rock bottom. Yeah. I don't believe there's a rock bottom, but death. Yeah. Right. And what we do is, you know, on our intervention sides, we help raise that bottom Correct. and teach the family how to have healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all it, It's all in, included, right, in, in intervention or case management. It's working with the families and as much as we work with the, if not more than we work with the adults. It's where the work's at. You know, because um, let's be honest, mm-hmm. the families are as sick or sicker than the addict, 100%. you know, us as addicts, we know we have a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm jabbing a needle in my arm. I know that's not what I should be doing, right. but it's what I cannot stop doing. Right. The family's drug is the their loved one. Yeah. You know, they're always making excuses. They're enabling whatever. You pull that loved one out of that family, put them in a treatment center. They get better. And they go right back to that toxic family. I will guarantee you 100% there's a relapse.
0: Yeah.
2: Because, I mean, the family didn't get better. Mm-hmm. So you're sticking them back in an unhealthy environment. The only way that happens is if that loved one separates himself from him or herself from him and goes like sober living and just lives their life. Mm-hmm. You know, and then maybe they can go back, make, you know, cleanups and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. But I know people that have to stay away from family because it's not healthy for them, you know? And, and because the family refuses to get help.
0: Yeah. Or they refuse to forgive them for all the stuff they, you know, the mistakes they made while they were using. Mm-hmm. So when that person comes back from treatment, in their eyes, it's like nothing changed. It, right. You can't make an addict feel any worse about himself than he does. No. We both know that. No. And so when they go back and someone just resumes beating them up all the time like nothing has changed i mean that's where the real case management comes in the first question is is where are you going to go when you leave here right and the biggest reason for the relapse certainly the family is but it's man we were talking about the discipline you know in treatment there's things you do on a daily basis that better not change when you walk out the door and the people that i've worked with that did relapse that's the first thing that changed yep you know well i'll take a day off well i'll catch a meeting finally
2: i don't have people telling me what to do all day yeah now i can just take it easy yeah take my foot off the gas i'll pick it up tomorrow yeah but what i find is tomorrow never comes Mm -mm. because i'm like ah you know what uh even even sober right I got so tied up in the business aspect. I was driving all over the all over the country during the pandemic because they couldn't fly right, mm-hmm. and I got spiritually disconnected. And being sober and getting spiritually disconnected is a very scary place.
0: It's more scary than using. I've been there.
2: Yeah, and man, you know, it, it took. You know, it's funny how how my God works, right? He sometimes has to just kicked me right in the ass yeah and, and in 2019 I, man, I thought I was in the best shape of my life I'm in the gym seven days a week body fat's about 12% wow. and I go in and I, I had a, a sore on my legs so they had a lancet I went back the next day and I was laying down and he's like you having problems breathing I said nah man I'm sm- I'm a smoker uh-huh. said, okay next day I know the doctor comes in and says we got two options I said, well, that's not a really good way to start this conversation. <laughs> I want more options. Uh, yeah, it can be more than one. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you could go home and try to see a cardiologist and all that on the outside or uh, uh, have you admitted into the hospital. I'm like, whoa, hit the brakes. What's wrong, dude? Uh-huh. He said, uh, you got congestive heart failure and kidney disease. Your kidney's about to shut down.
1: Wow.
2: I'm like, get the hell out of here, man. You're you're looking at the wrong test rail. He right. like, no, no, I'm not. And when that happened, right? And I was like, man, I, that's when I got disconnected because I'm like, I'm out here doing God work, right? I'm do you know, I would, I would drop anything. I'll be in the middle of dinner uh-huh. with my girlfriend, get a phone call that somebody needed help. And I'd drop it and go do yeah. it. And then people call me, hey, can you go pick up this person in Mississippi? And we need them here tomorrow. I'm like, I got you, and I do drives and turn around, 24 hour drives, right? And I ran myself into the ground, and but that was my God's way of saying, hey, you need to slow the hell down. Yeah. And we need to we we need to get reconnected, mm-hmm. right? And luckily, I had men in my life that, one isn't worried about hurting my damn feelings. Right. You know that, that we say. You know, if I hurt your feelings and save your life, then piss on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, hurt my um, or, you know, I'd rather hurt someone's feelings than step over their grave. You know? Absolutely. And these men don't care about my feelings. My yeah. feelings got me where I was at, right? Right. right. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was great. They, they kind of brought me back. It took a minute. You know, they they don't force me to do anything, right? They give suggestions. And yeah. whether I do them or not, it's up to me. Right. But uh, they kept giving suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> and there was more than suggestions. It was more like, do this. And, um, you know, that's the kind of attitude I need. You know, I don't need nobody to just hold my hand. You know, yes. that, that's happened my whole life. Right. And I, I, I don't need nobody to hold my hand. You know, I, I, I need someone to kick me in my ass when, when the shit needs to happen. Right.
0: No, I mean, I've had those people in my life, too. And that spiritual disconnection when you're sober or clean, I hate using the word sober, but you're just not using, but you're spiritually disconnected, that, for me personally, I know people don't agree with this, but to me, that was a worse feeling than using because I had nothing to
2: kill it with. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, when we use, I don't know about for you, but I, I wasn't using to get high. A lot of times, all the time, I was using to get right. Yeah. You know, because drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Mm -hmm. I'm my problem. But drugs and alcohol are my solution. If I don't have the spiritual solution, Mm -hmm. I know what I go to. I go to the one thing I know that, you know, when I'm disconnected, right, and I don't have that spiritual solution, I know that one thing that will ease that pain.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? It talks about the doctor's opinion about you know, it says men and women drink because it's because of, like the effects produce. The effect for me is I don't feel,
0: Yeah.
2: right? It numbs that, numbs everything. Mm-hmm. Now it stops working. It don't stop getting me high, but it stops working. Yeah. It stops numbing that pain. It causes more problems than the, than the problem. Yeah, and it just compounds, it compounds, and you wanna use more and more, you know, and that's just, that. you know, and I know some people are gonna disagree you know, but I believe in the disease concept, right? The alcohol, and so does the medical community. It's in yeah. the book or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And if if I'm sitting across from somebody and they have cancer, I'm not gonna kick them in the ass Mm-mm. and and tell them they're a piece of shit and worthless because they're not you know working. All they're doing is you know laying in bed, blah blah blah, right? I'm not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Somebody has diabetes. I'm not you know I'm not gonna kick them in their ass. Mm-hmm. Well, they kick me in my ass because I don't I don't watch it, but but you know, and those two those two diseases are fatal if left untreated. Mm-hmm. So is alcoholism, alcoholism and addiction. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a disease that needs to be treated, right? And you don't treat it by telling them you're a piece of shit, yes. you're worthless. All you do is da 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 da. Right? These these things we do are a symptom of our disease. You know, I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll be a opiate addict. Yeah. I think I'll piss away everything, yeah. my relationship with my kids, my family, my livelihood, my freedom. I didn't wake up one day and say that. Yeah. But there was a point in time, and I don't know what, when that line was crossed, but there was no coming back from it. Yeah. And, you know, I... the the pills were more powerful than anything in my life. You know, I remember my kids begging me to stop. And I told them, yeah, I will. And you could have hooked me up to a lie detector test and I would have passed. been there. And, but I just couldn't. Yeah. And, you know, that was crazy, right? Because everything else in my life, I I was successful in the car business, you know, all that, right? I, you know, I, I was voted probably most likely to go to prison in high school. But, uh-huh. um, that came true, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I had a very, I was very successful mm-hmm. in, in in the world's eyes, mm-hmm. but I will tell you this: I was the most miserable because there was nothing that was fixing it until I got the got on those pills. Yeah, I remember taking that first pill. I'm like. It's like this thing came off. Yeah, I'm like this. This, this is what I what I wanted, uh-huh. right? And I, I was taking it for a legitimate reason. I mean, yeah. I had my back. I had a vertebrae in my back that was cracked, and uh, but it did something to me, you know. And, it, and when you talk about the disease, it's there's an allergy, right? We're we're allergic to it, just like being allergic to shrimp. Yep. And I take it in, and it triggers that allergy. That allergy is. I want more of this shit. Yeah. And then I obsess over it, right? And then I, I go through a run and I come out, and I was like, shit, I'm never gonna do that again, Yeah. only to do it again, you know? Because it, 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 that's the disease is left untreated, right? And for me, I'm not saying this for everybody, but the spiritual part is what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And I tried finding it in church. I tried finding it doing all kinds of crazy shit, you know? And I found that I was beyond any type of human aid, right? Counseling's great, treatment's great, but that doesn't fix me. It gives me the tools, mm-hmm. but if my lazy ass doesn't take action, right? And that's what the you know the 12-step program taught me was: you got to take action. If you wanted to get closer to this power, and it was a power promised to me that could answer all my problems. Not just the drugs and drink and alcohol Mm -hmm. problems, my financial problems, my relationship problems, all that. And when I did that, man, I was like, holy shit. Where's this been? Yeah. I didn't even want it, it's the last thing I wanted. Hey, I tried, I've been around AA since 2006, 2007. So 15, 16 years, something like that, and I tried everything not to do that yeah. I'm like I'm, I'm going to be one of them crusty old fuckers <laughs> over there. but when I finally hit rock bottom I mean my, my rock bottom changed so many times right yeah. but when I was finally at that jumping off point because for me it isn't about you know I start using and it's not the, I go to treatment mine is I I think the gun's going to work
0: yeah
2: I got to get off this fucking ride one way or another.
0: Yeah.
2: And the only way I've seen it, I mean, I tried it twice before I got sober, mm-hmm. was to try to end it all. Yeah. And, you know, people's like, that's the most selfish thing to do. That's not what my mind was telling me. My mind was telling me, you got to stop hurting the ones you love. And there's only one way to do this. Mm-hmm. It may hurt right there in the instant, but they, they're going to get past it. Mm-hmm. But you keep hitting them, you know, with a million cuts, that's more painful than one big cut. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, screw it, I'm I'm, I'm gonna end it all. Yeah. And ended up in a coma in 2015, Mm. and in 2017, when I finally got sober there, and uh, I tried to take my life again, and I woke up about 12 hours later after shooting a bunch of insulin. Mm. And I'm like, fuck, you can't even kill yourself. (laughs) You know? And then I I started making phone calls, and I found this treatment center willing to take a chance on me. And you talked about, go, uh, are they willing to do whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I went to that treatment center. I remember I rode a moped all across uh-huh. San Antonio, right? Yeah. And I was at the treatment center, and the counselor's like, well, we don't have a detox, so you got to go find somewhere to detox. Because I, I try to come off, come off of all kinds of shit, Xanax, all that. And I already had seizures and all that. Yeah. And um, so I went to about four different places. First place, the hospital kicked me out with, they'll give me a bottle of Valium, yeah. and said, t- t- told me to taper, I'm like, what the fuck does taper mean? Yeah. I walked out of the pharmacy drinking yeah. the whole bottle. <laughs> go tell the <laughs> drug of here, That's tapered. how you taper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there'll, there'll be a bunch in me, and it go down slowly. <laughs> um, then I went to another place, he told me to come back in a couple of days, I was like, look, the only way I'm coming back in a couple of days is in a body bag. Yeah. Another place went, and since I didn't have insurance, kicked me out, and I ended up at a hospital in an ER, and I told the doctor, I said, look, man, I'm not looking for you to do, do, dope me up. I just need someone to watch me medically, and I I don't have insurance. And that ER doctor said, you know what? That's the most honest thing anybody in your position has ever told me, and I'm gonna give you a shot, but you got to do what I tell you to do. I said, whatever. So he wheels me down to the hospital room that they got me back in 2017, put me into a room by myself on the ground floor, right? This doctor's super cool, a hip doctor, right? He goes, look, man, you're coming off a lot of shit. That window opens, don't blow up my hospital. Yeah. Cause I, I smoke too, right? <laughs> and so I smoked out that window the whole time I was in there, but they tapered me, right? Um, off of the opiates and off of the Valium, ArzaneX. And man, talking about doing whatever it takes. Yeah. I did whatever it take, took to get in that treatment center mm-hmm. because I needed a little bit of separation I didn't go there looking for recovery, right? I went there looking for how am I going to figure out my life, mm-hmm. and you know we, we talk about the sobriety, and I, I don't talk about sobriety because sobriety really, I mean, isn't enough. Just being sober is not enough. I want to talk about recovery. Yeah. How did you get your job back, cars back, kids back? You know, how did you, how did you sit there and be at peace and ease? That's, sanity back how did you yes and you know this bit about oh you know I got 50 years but you're miserable
0: yeah
2: I was talking to this cat last night on this drive back right we, nine hour drive something like yeah. that nine ten hour and we were talking about stuff and it just we talked the whole way man mm-hmm. nonstop. stop it, it, it felt like we were only in the car an hour right and and he goes that's the shit I want. I don't. I don't want to be sitting there. He was eight years sober, and he relapsed. And he said, "Man, I, I don't care about time." I said, "Buddy, I'm gonna tell you what. I want what you got right now. I care about time? You got you got the desire, man. You got the gift of desperation. Willing to do whatever it takes for life. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't want 50 years, and I got to be miserable, right? Because if I'm gonna be miserable. I know how I'm not going to feel that misery.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? And th- and that's what the the guys that I run around with that, you know, we talk about recovery, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk about going out here. I don't give a shit what you say in a meeting, right? Because I can go in there and be pretty fly for an hour. Oh, yeah. Watch what I do when I leave. Yeah. Right. Don't watch my mouth, watch my feet. That's yeah. what I tell my sponsors. Yeah. Don't watch my mouth, watch my feet. Yeah. What, is, what am I doing? What did I do today for my recovery? mm you know yeah. and I can honestly say you know sometimes it's doing things like this right yeah. uh, sometimes it's going to these conferences and making connections so we can help the next person correct you know we, we spend a lot of time eating lunches <laughs> 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 bringing kolaches um, uh, you know um, and, and just networking because we got to build a team right yeah. and you know, over these, I think I've been in business for what, four years, I think, and that's what I've done. I've done no advertisement, all word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And man, we're on the brink of something big, Yeah. you know, with, with all that we're doing. And it's not only us, right? It's the partners that we have along with us. Mm -hmm. And as they grow, we grow. And you know, we're providing services, right? But we're also helping other people in the recovery community. Yeah. Because we, we hire people to drive for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're gonna bring on a, you know, a female case manager. Um, and another male case manager. And a male case manager, you know? We're gonna be prepared for what's coming. Absolutely. Because guys, I, I'm here to tell you, the addiction's not going away no matter how much we look at it, right? Because there's always something, right? Addiction, it, the disease of addiction is not curable, but it is treatable. Just like cancer can be put into remission, our disease can be put into remission, mm-hmm. as long as we're willing to do some simple. And it's really simple, man. Yeah. I wake up in the morning, I seek God, I clean house, I work with others. I go to bed at night and I say, where was I wrong today? And how can I be a better guy yeah. tomorrow, right? Yeah. And then I wake up tomorrow and I try to do that. I fail sometimes, you know. Um, I'm kind of an asshole when I'm driving. Yep. You know, I, I yell at people. I throw them the finger. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I threaten to beat their ass. <laughs> <laughs> I get. I don't get out of the car, but. But you know what? At the end of the day, if I harm somebody, you know. That's why I've been in my life, right? Because I think, well, I deserve to say that to my girlfriend. She pissed me off. Yeah. I call my call my sponsor, call my buddies, and they're like, "Hey, little buddy, whoa, how about you go clean up your shit?" Yeah. I said, "Clean up my shit." What you she didn't clean up her shit. Ain't about her, man. She ain't the one that's gonna die from it. Your resentment will kill you.
0: Yeah.
2: So I clean up my shit. Sometimes it takes me a minute because yeah. I want to waller in that shit because that's where I like to be choosing to supper. There you go, right? And but at the end of at the end of the day, I do that little nightly check in, and you know I used to write it down. I have journals from when I was in treatment the first couple of years I was sober, to, and uh, you know today I just do a nightly check. You know, and if I need something, I jot it down, Yeah. you know? And uh, I mean, it saved my ass. Yeah. Well, looking forward to hearing
0: more of your story. And uh, you know, when we were talking about going any lengths, there's a kid I want to get on here whose parents dropped him off to one of the treatment centers we're a part of. He wanted no part of it. So he literally walked 18 miles home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so i was thinking man when we get ready to walk like one of the kids i case manage right i said what are you doing he goes man i'm putting some air in my tire so i can get to that meeting how many times you heard people say well i don't have a ride or you know this kid's pumping air in his tire he you know he lost his right to drive he goes okay well i need a bicycle well my bike has a flat well i'm gonna fix the flat that's somebody that wants it right yeah Yeah. and if someone will walk 18 miles to get away from it when they'll walk 18 miles to get to it they got a chance and that kid's a pretty remarkable story works there at the treatment center so uh anyway i think it's about time to wrap it up i think we've given everybody enough of a tease we're going to have a whole lot more of Dustin's story on here, maybe some of mine.
2: No maybe to it.
0: <laughs> but anyway, guys. Shit, I'll talk all day. <laughs> Me too, but we gotta go to work. All right, man. Uh thanks for tuning in, guys. We're gonna come back with a closing segment here in a sec. Well, thanks a lot for tuning in. The last section of the podcast will always include Something interesting we read, or at least we thought was interesting, or I like music. It's been my experience that, man, when I'm by myself and I'm thinking, I'm either, if I'm thinking about the problems, problems get bigger. If I'm thinking about the solutions, solutions get bigger. So I try to stay out of the problems. And anyway, um, today we're going to include the song that we named this podcast over by Travis Meadows called A Better Boat first heard that analogy, a better boat, uh, from Mahatma Gandhi. I read his book, My Experiment with the Truth. And he's telling the story when he was moving to England from India and he was in a big old ship. There was a storm going on out there in the Atlantic. The boat was getting tossed around everywhere, but inside was peaceful and calm. And he was the first one to use that analogy uh, to where we all need to be a better boat where we're calm inside, no matter what's going on outside of us. To go to a place deep inside of us where we can be safe, calm. Secondly, every day, man, we're building a better vessel to put up with the storms of life. Anyway, here's Travis Meadows in a better boat. We we'll hope to see y'all here next time.